Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi folks, welcome to the A Minute to Midnight show. My name is Tony and on the show today I have the returning guests John and Joy Heisman who were on the show a few days ago and had very good responses and people were saying can't wait for part two. I just want to let you know that you can download a PDF file of Joy's work on our website aminutetomidnight.com it'll be put there with this interview and the PDF file is called The Culmination of the Long War Against God, Bible-Believing Jews and Christians. Uh, it's only 20-something pages long and uh, it would probably be a good idea that, for you to download it so you can read. want to welcome back John and Joy Heisman and you were on the show just a few days ago and had an overwhelmingly positive response from people on YouTube and also on Facebook as well. And so it's really nice to be talking to you both again today. Lovely to be talking to you, Tony. Thanks, Tony. And John, do you want to introduce us uh, to what's ha- what you're doing today? Yes, love to do so. Um, as you just mentioned, we were absolutely staggered by the reaction that we got, especially the, the positive comments, which was well over 90% of the comments. Um, the only negative one I received was a, from a member of my own family. I just want to mention to um, Joy's health because, uh, for instance, on Sunday she spent the whole day in bed. So it's quite a miracle that she's able to do what she's doing this morning. Um, she's got very, very severe scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine. Uh, and in her case, it's not a curvature. It's a very severe 45-degree angle. And so she's in pain a lot of the time. Um, we, we've investigated all sorts of uh, solutions to this problem and um, basically at the end of the day the specialists have said pain management so that's what we're trying to do. So I just wanted to mention that. Okay and the other thing I wanted, wanted to mention um, was that Joy when she was at New South Wales University she discovered most of this information from the minutes of the meetings of foundations such as the Ford Foundation and the Carnegie Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, those three mainly. And very recently we came across a a most incredible interview between uh, G. Edward Griffin, and this goes back to 1982, and a man by the name of um, Norman Dodd. And I, I would encourage each of the listeners to to go onto Google or whatever your search engine is and put put those two names in and look up the uh, the YouTubes I think I may have sent you some links yeah. to to this particular thing 
But I wanted to quote just a little bit from it, and I can't spend a lot of time on this, but you can uh, also download the transcript. And um, basically the story is that it represents a missing puzzle in modern history. Um, Ed Griffin speaking. He's saying, we're about to hear a man tell us the major tax-exempt foundations of America uh, have been operating to promote a hidden agenda. And I'm going to skip there and just get into the document because, uh, and I'm going to go straight to the part that deals with the Carnegie Institute. And what, what happened was that he asked these various, this is Mr. Dodd, asked these various foundations to provide him with answers to written questions. And in this particular instant, um, the Carnegie Institute got back to him and said, look, we've got a better idea. Why don't you send a representative to us and we will allow that representative to go through the minutes of our meeting since, since our inception and we'll give you two weeks to do that. Well, Dodd was absolutely staggered, uh, but he took up the, uh, the offer and he sent one of his assistants, whose name was Catherine Casey, who happened to be an attorney, a New, New York attorney, and uh, she was opposed to this particular investigation anyway. And she went off and recorded all this stuff. And it, the impact that it had on her was absolutely staggering. But the, the main points that came out of this is that uh, from the minutes of the Carnegie Institute, they said, we must control the State Department. We must control dip the diplomatic machinery of this country and then we must control education. And then they worked in conjunction with the Rockefeller Foundation and the Guggenheim Foundation to do those objectives. And the sad thing about it was that, and, and this is where Dodd explains at the end, um, she recorded all this information on a dictaphone, remembering that this goes back to 1953, and Griffin asks Dodd, how many people actually heard these recordings? And he says, well, three maybe, myself, my top assistant, and Catherine, the attorney. And I might tell you that this experience, as far as its impact on Catherine is concerned, she was never able to return to her law practice. And if it hadn't been for Carol Reese, and this was the Reese Commission, ability to tuck her away in a job with the Federal Trade Commission. I don't know what would have happened to her. And then he says these words, ultimately, she lost her mind as a result of it. Wow. This was due to cognitive dissonance. She just couldn't cope. It was a terrible shock to her. And it was a very rough experience for her to encounter proof of this kind. So I can only encourage your listeners to go to those sites, go to the, uh, the YouTube itself of that interview uh, have a look at it, and then try and get a copies of the uh, the transcript. I've got I've got to move on quickly because I want to hand over over to Joy. Um, but I want to stress how vitally important the information is that she's about to share, because we will never understand what's currently happening in the world without thoroughly understanding the information that she will share with you today. And then, as a final confession, this is a confession on my part. I've got to admit that I'm one of the world's most highly decorated gold medalists in scepticism, <laughs> right? I'm a born skeptic. You know, yeah. if you want to convince me of anything, you better come up with some pretty convincing arguments. Yeah. 
And uh, in the early years of our marriage, this was 13 years ago, we were invited to speak at mostly small home groups. And one of the things that Joy shared pretty well always was about Hitler sending a contingent of Nazis to Tibet to obtain all the esoteric secrets of the Tibetan monks. And every time she told it, I sort of cringed because I didn't know whether she was, you know, this, this information was accurate or not. Well, at one particular meeting, she shared the story again, and almost immediately after the finish of her presentation, a young man came up to us and he said he was absolutely amazed at the coincidence of hearing Joy tell this story because only a couple of days before, he had been watching a National Geographic documentary on that very topic. And while I sighed a, a, you know, a, yeah. a big sigh of relief, yeah. and I later tracked down all this information, and absolutely. So I just wanted, want the listeners to understand that, you know, what Joy is saying is absolutely factual. And with that, I, I'll hand over to her. And that's a great introduction. So, yes. Joy, we're looking forward to a continuation of the information that you shared in the first uh, part of this series. Yes, I started off by sharing uh, the amazing miracle of finding that needle in a haystack in the New South Wales University uh, archives of all this information of the plans for the First World War and that the Rees Committee uh, in 1952 has all this now documented in the American Senate, the exact information that, that I found is just was just mind-boggling. And the fact that John has come across the actual transcript of the Reese Committee, the interview, and I think one of the things that caused this young attorney to lose her mind was the confession from the head of the Ford Foundation that their ultimate aim was to use their funds, their endowments, their scholarships, their, you know, who, who they funded and who they got into power, uh, was that their, their aim was to be able to bring in the one world government by merging communism, by merging Russia with America to be able to uh, so condition, uh, so he, um, the, the head of the uh, Ford Foundation at that time was Mr. Gainther, and he said, we will use our grant-making power to so alter life in the United States that it can be comfortably merged with the Soviet Union so that we know that the one world government that's being proposed is what we would call, um, from historical point of view, a, a communist or a socialist uh, or totalitarian uh, type type world world government, and it's to phase phase out what we've known as democracy and to phase out what we've known as nations. Well, that's really interesting too, because Henry Ford he himself actually got an award from the Nazis, didn't he, in 1938 which is, Absolutely. you would seem, the opposite to that. Absolutely. And, Tony, it does cause cognitive dissonance because um, this young lady, she did not expect anything bad to when she searched the, 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 the documents and the minutes of all the meetings of these tax-free foundations. She didn't expect anything bad. There was no conspiracy in her mind. And the fact that she came across concrete evidence that there was uh, 
behind the scenes all this other agenda going on that she had no idea about. Her mind just couldn't cope, cope with it. And, Tony, some of your listeners might find it very hard to believe as well. I've, I've had uh, years and years to process this. Uh, but when when you first hear this information, it's it's quite difficult. And I, I mean, I've been led step by step by meeting incredible people, by amazing divine appointments to confirm my own study. And Tony, one of your um, listeners commented that I I had said that one of my flatmates in Jerusalem. She had given me the information that there was a secret agreement signed in 1993 at the Vatican between three high-level Freemasons, one from the Vatican, Yasser Arafat and Shimon Perez. And I just want to explain a little bit of that, that background. My, my friend, my flatmate, she was working with and helping a group of Bible-believing Jews, I guess you would call them uh, biblical Zionists. Uh, they believed in the Bible, they believed in God, they believed in the Torah, and they were appalled that their country was being betrayed by very powerful groups within the intelligence community. So there was like a split in the intelligence community. They were so distressed that there would be people within their own intelligence community betraying their country and betraying their people and handing over Jerusalem to the Vatican. You know, it was beyond their comprehension. So, but Tony, do you know this happens in all, it seems to me, all the uh, security agencies, as I've studied a lot about the First World War and the Second World War and what the particularly the American and British Secret Service agents were doing behind the scenes was absolutely betraying their own governments, absolutely working against the interests of the governments that were employing them. And... So you have to ask the question, why are the, they globalists and what is their agenda? Why are they betraying their own nations? And I came across uh, this answer about that same time that I was learning about this secret agreement that was signed at the Vatican, and it was kept secret, um, very well kept secret. And when John and I got married, um, I told John about it and uh, of what my flatmate had said and being the ultimate sceptic that he is. So he said, well, I'm going to try and find some proof of this. And indeed he did. John is an amazing, amazing, amazing researcher. He just checks and checks and double checks everything. And he found an article written by Joel Bannerman. Bannerman and it detailed every single fact that my flatmate had told me that was going on, of how Jerusalem was signed away. And the, the other thing that happened at that time was that Shimon Peres had no authority to sign Jerusalem away. He wasn't the, he wasn't, uh, the prime minister. 
and he, but he was the Minister for Foreign Affairs. And when a fax came into the Foreign Affairs Department confirming the meeting, you know, the minutes of the meeting at the Vatican, it was intercepted by one of the workers in the office. And she went ballistic and said, what are you doing, Shimon Perez? You have no authority to sign away our capital to the Vatican. She went ballistic. And there was a great fuss, and he he explained it by saying, oh, I meant to say we will not hand Jerusalem over to the Vatican. And she was shipped off. I think she was shipped off to Kathmandu. Um, but all of this was hidden until the Joel Bannerman article came out. And I really encourage the listeners to look up that Joel Bannerman article that this describes this, but why why are the people of nations betraying their own nation? Why is there this internationalist agenda? And at, at that very same time, I met a man called Barry Hamish, that's, he starts with C-H, Barry Hamish, and he, he, as I told you, Tony, he was um, investigating the death of Prime Minister Rabin, who had been assassinated, and he had written a book on it, and he had discovered that it was that was on the orders of Shimon Peres and Henry Kissinger, and then Barry went on to write another book uh, on Shabbatai's v. The Holocaust and Labor Zionism. And it was basically the betrayal of the Jewish people by the followers of Shabbat V. So, Tony, is it okay if I tell you a little bit about Shabbat V? I, absolutely. I think most people won't know. So I've, I've sent you some pictures, and John has um, sent them to you. It's called The Origins of Modern Persecution of Jews and Christians, and there's a picture of Shabbat V. And he, he was... He was born in the in the 1600s in what was then the Ottoman the Ottoman Empire, and he was a, a mystic, and he was trained in in uh, the Kabbalah, and he was proclaimed by a um, rabbi. Uh, his name was Nathan of Gaza. He was proclaimed to be the Messiah. On the 18th of June, 1666, now 18 is three threes, <laughs> of June the 6th, uh, 1666, and he proclaimed himself Messiah. Now, the reason behind this, behind this proclamation, was that he was actually anti-God, anti-Torah, and he said, we need redemption. We need all the prophecies to be fulfilled. You know, we're all scattered all over the place and we need redemption and we need Messiah to come. And at that time, the prevailing belief was that if every Jew on the face of the planet obeyed the whole of the Torah for one day, Messiah would come. Well, he said, that's not going to happen, is it? So he said, well, how about if we change it a bit and say, if we can get every Jew on the face of the planet to disobey Torah for a whole day, then we'll get Messiah to come. <laughs> so he he um, he altered the Torah. He said, when Messiah comes, the Torah will be abolished. 
And he basically said, uh, the, the scripture says, don't commit adultery. So he said, well, let's commit adultery. Let's do wife swapping. Let's have, have orgies. So as you can imagine, Tony, you got a lot of followers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> um, so much so that um, the Ottoman, he came to, because it was in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, he was born in Smyrna. And he came to the attention uh, of the authorities and they said, hey, look, you guys, you, you guys are causing a problem here. Uh, unless you convert to Islam, uh, we're going to shut you down or shoot you. So they chose to convert to Islam and they, they went underground. And they pretended to convert to Islam, but they were still the followers of Shabbat Isvi, which is a false messiah, which is anti-Torah. Uh, it's actually anti-Talmud as well. It's, it's um, anti-everything that scripture says is good. Uh, but it's to bring about a false messiah. That's, that's the aim, a world government. A false religion that's that's the aim they went underground and kept spreading and how they went underground is they joined uh, the Islamic equivalent in the Ottoman Empire of what we would call Freemason lodges and in there uh, though they remained Shabbat followers uh, they pretended to be Islamic and they could mix very well in the environment of secret societies. And by, um, by the year 2000, um, in his hometown there, there were, and in Thessalonica, there were 100,000 followers of, of Shabbat Isvi. And there was a man called Russo who became the um, head. He became like the Shabbat V successor. And he became leader of what were called the Don Jews, who were uh, in this underground secret society who were actually wanting to overthrow the Ottoman Empire. They're actually even then planning overthrow of all national governments for a one world government and one world religion. But in the meantime, a man had come from Europe to study and he learned all the doctrines of Shabbat V. And he was a cloth merchant and his name was Jacob Frank, or that's what he became known as. It was Frankovich in a much longer name. He came from Poland as a cloth merchant. He, he met with these brethren in the, in the underground uh, secret societies. He became totally indoctrinated into this new form of Messiahism to have this false messiah. He went back to Europe and took the message of Shabbat Isvi back to Europe and he became very, very, very influential in infiltrating the Jewish community in, in Poland and in Eastern Europe. Now, his, his followers, uh, they became very powerful by infiltration of synagogues, infiltration of uh, the European uh, lodges of the Freemasonry because they're all secret societies. But when he came to Frankfurt, 
1776, he really came, he really struck gold, absolutely struck gold, because in Frankfurt he met uh, the Rothschilds and they were of the same um, uh, political views, if you like, the same religious views, um, and it's come to our attention through reading the testimonies of people who have come out of uh, the Illuminati who have been born into the bloodline of the Rothschilds. And when they have, have come out of that, and many have come to believe in Jesus as Messiah, they have said, actually, we, the Rothschilds, we're not Jewish. We are actually of the bloodline of Esau. We're actually Edomites. And our aim is to have revenge on Jacob. Jacob stole our birthright, which he did, and we want revenge. And by becoming very powerful financiers and making it known that they are Jewish, they plan in the future to crash the world economy the world will blame the Rothschilds and the bankers and say the Jews did it, and then people will turn against all Jews. And that, that they see as their revenge on Jacob, if they can get people to hate Jews and turn on Jews and take it out on the Jews when it's actually the Rothschilds who were, who were supplying all this, this money that, that Jacob Frank tapped into in 1776 and at that time Adam Weishaupt was he was a Jesuit trained um, he was born Jewish but Jesuit trained and he like the Rothschilds and like Jacob Frank were very much into the pagan mystery religions and so there were three four groups uh, that actually joined together. They joined with the Jesuits, uh, Adam Weishaupt, uh, Jacob Frank, and the Rothschilds. The Rothschilds said, we'll fund it. Uh, Jacob Frank said, we'll infiltrate the Jewish community to get the Jews away from their Torah and their scripture. We'll fund colleges to uh, question scripture. And then they, they said, well, uh, the Jesuits part of it was we want revenge for the Reformation and we want revenge on Germany for the Reformation. So that, that, was, their, that was their part. Um, the uh, Rothschilds became really the, the richest banking family in, in, in the world and they have continued to fund this agenda and they even funded the Holocaust. So um, just, just to stop you for a second, so do you believe the Rothschilds are not Jewish? Well, uh, I, I believe that they, they're certainly publicly saying they are Jewish, but people who have come out of that family have said we are actually Red Shield is red, red is Edom. Uh, we are actually of Edomite lineage and we want revenge on Jacob, which is why we're saying we're Jewish. 
and people will blame the Jews when, for any economic crashes. Mm, okay. Carry on. The, um, this was the most um, important event, really, in modern history because out of this alliance between the Jesuits, the Frankists, um, the, the Rothschilds, out of this has really come the rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of governments, the rise and fall of companies, and the, the backing, the money that has backed the whole plan for the new world order and the one world religion. Uh, we've got a photo of there of Ignatius Loyola, who founded the Jesuits about a century before this. He was a Marino, uh, a Jew, a Jew um, but he didn't follow the Torah at all. He, he followed the... The, he followed paganism, the ancient paganism, and he wanted to start this group, which has, we now call the Jesuits. He wanted to call it in Spanish, his group, the Illuminati. But the Pope said to him, oh, a more innocuous name would be the Society of Jesus. And so they became called the Jesuits. But they were pagan Illuminati from the beginning, and although they have pretended to be guardians of the Pope um, and like an army for the Pope, and indeed they have been, and they have influenced governments incredibly. So the, the Jesuits, they wanted the trashing of Germany in revenge for the Reformation, which is why we see the funding of Hitler by, by the Rothschilds um, and, and others who have followed in the Shabbat ISV um, indoctrination because they infiltrated not only theological colleges to water down the teaching of the Bible, they, they infiltrated synagogues, they infiltrated... Uh, governments and banks, um, but the greatest tragedy, of, of course, is the funding of the Holocaust and the funding of um, the trashing of Germany, which was re revenge. This, of course, fits into with the Knights Templar agenda and the Rosicrucian agenda. They sort of all come together at this time and have continued behind the scenes is very influential. And because this group were able to infiltrate um, what is now called Scottish Rite Freemasonry, British Freemasonry, American Freemasonry, wherever the British Empire went and the, and the British East India Company went, uh, they were able to spread this doctrine underground and if you wanted to get anywhere in business you became you became a, a freemason and their aim is to put on the throne of david a false a false messiah and this is where um that's that's a whole other topic tony but that's why you've got Freemasonry lodges in all the countries now who are betraying their own governments and and their own own people. Um, the other part of this is that 
the, the, the Merovingian bloodline that they wanted to put on the throne of, in, and crown in a, in a rebuilt temple, which is why they want Jerusalem as an international city, it, they based that on the story of Mary Magdalene going to um, southern France and having a daughter called Sarah, uh, which the Merovingians claim was Jesus' daughter, but of course that wasn't true. <laughs> the, the daughter was the daughter of her husband. And Mary Magdalene and Lazarus and and many of the other early disciples, they did go and they they preached the gospel in southern France and they they did amazing, amazing missionary work. But they then um, some of her descendants married into uh, the Arians who don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, they married into the local aristocracies and became part of the local paganism. They eventually became known as the Knights Templar in history. People who escaped the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of Judea after the Bar Kokhba revolt in AD 135 when Hadrian crushed Judea, changed its name to Palestinia, Philistia, uh, to Pal we say Palestine, the, the elite who ran Jerusalem, um, the false priesthood like the descendants of Annas and Caiaphas, they too fled to southern France and intermarried with Mary's descendants they brought with them maps of where to find their gold and maps to where to find their genealogies of their priesthood. And they passed on to all their descendants the agenda. One day you've got to go back to Jerusalem and get the gold and get the genealogies. Well, in the year 1000, there was great messianic fervor, you know, within uh, Catholicism would Jesus return on the millennium. And uh, when he didn't, that's when uh, the Pope sent the Crusades. But also it was because of an offer from these descendants of a false priesthood who had embraced the local paganism and intermarried with the local aristocracy. Um, and they said, we will help you gain Jerusalem. We will... Uh, fight on behalf of the Vatican to retrieve Jerusalem from the hands of the Islamics. If you can provide the soldiers and, and, and the money, um, we, we will help you take Jerusalem. And so that's part of the background of the crusade. Of course, it's much bigger than that. But they did take Jerusalem and they did find the gold and they brought the night, what we now know as the Knights Templar or the, the those from the Crusades, they brought back so much money that they found uh, hidden under the Temple Mount that they became the bankers of Europe. That they set up uh, banking in in capital cities in in London, which became the, the Square Mile City of London, the bankers' centre of London. They set up the um, the law system and the banking system of, in London, in Switzerland, and in major capital cities in, in Italy. And they became so powerful, so rich, 
they were building the, the great cathedrals right across Europe in the 1400s. And then um, the Pope and the kings became so indebted to the Knight Templar that they needed to um, <laughs> get their debts cancelled. So they decided to ban the Knights Templar. And um, on the Friday the 13th, 1314, the Grand Master of the Templars, Jacques de Molay, was martyred, but the rest of the knights, they fled to Switzerland and began the Swiss, the Swiss uh, banking system. They fled to Scotland and from there followed uh, really the Scottish, the Scottish, the Scottish Freemasonry. So all of these Freemasonry lodges went back, but then they got infiltrated with this doctrine of Shabbat ISV. And the next main aim was to take over the uh, banking system of America. They already controlled the banking system of London, uh, Switzerland, Italy, uh, Germany. They wanted to take over the banking system of America. Um, <laughs> this was quite difficult to do, and but if you if you watch a uh, video called the Money Masters, it's an excellent excellent documentary of how the Rothschild banks took over the banking system of America. Uh, can and I just stop you there for a second? Just going back to the Rothschilds and things, and just thinking, I know it'll, it'll be a controversial thing that you've said that the Rothschilds are not Jewish. That, that you believe that they're not, that they're um, Edomites. Now, what about the rest of all the, Jew, uh, the Jews? You know, Because I know there are people that use the argument and say, aha, the Jews in Israel are not Jews. They're all Edomites and um, that it doesn't belong to the, you know, th that it belongs to the Palestinians and then you get the whole Khazarian theory and, and so on and so it, it just ends up with this. Oh, uh, so all the reasons why Israel shouldn't be, <laughs> if you know what I'm, I'm saying. I'm so glad you brought that up, Tony, because we sent you a picture of a man called Arthur Kostler. Yeah. He was a writer and he uh, he was a follower of Shabbat ISV. He was part of the Illuminati. He was very anti-God and anti-Jewish, although he was born um, Jewish. He was very anti-God, a follower of, uh, of Shabbat Isvi, who wanted to um, to get rid of and delegitimize uh, any Bible-believing Jews, any Torah-observant Jews. So he wrote this book called The Thirteenth Tribe, in in which he uh, says that. The Ashkenazi Jews or the uh, European Jews um, are Khazars. Now, there there's a little bit of truth in that, but there's also a lot a lot of error. Um, there were a lot of European Jews who had fled uh, the Middle East after the Germ after the Romans had trashed Judea after the Barcopha revolt. So some of them can trace the genealogy right right back to um, back to Judea, but the the nation of the Khazars that was a different story. The Khazars, in fact, if you trace back their history, 
they are part of the 10 tribes uh, that were scattered uh, in 722 BC, and they settled in the country that we now call Khazaria. And in the 1300s and you know, around, around the time that the Crusades were going on, there was a great debate going on in, in, in the land of the Khazars. You know, the, the options seem to be for a religion. Well, we can either choose Roman Catholicism, and they saw problems with that. They could choose Islam, and they saw problems with that. And they saw we could choose Judaism. And because there was that racial memory of their Israelite background, they chose as a nation to convert to Judaism. But Kostler's aim was to delegitimize all European Jews as being able to be called Jews. Um, now, the people who are the dangerous ones are people like Arthur Kostler, are people like the, the banking families, uh, like the people who joined uh, all of the Freemason groups and the big, big banking houses all connected to the Rothschilds. They are Jews, but they say they are Jews, but in fact they hate Judaism, they hate scripture, they hate God, they hate Christians. So you've got this real split, you've got a very powerful group, uh, very, very powerful group who control the money um, and often they are born Jewish but are actually totally against um, Judaism. So they, and, they can be Jewish by race but by religion, basically they're Luciferians. Absolutely. Now, I'll just give you one example, Stephen, of Stephen Wise. Uh, Stephen Wise was the head of conservative Judaism in uh, America during the Second World War, and he was the uh, Jewish advisor and very close friend to, to the president, to Roosevelt. And Rabbi Wise, he was a follower of Shabbat V. He was part of, by now, a very powerful group of bankers and businessmen and religious people who were secret followers of Shabbat V. And Stephen Wise blocked every attempt to get aid to the Jews in Germany, in Poland, uh, Orthodox uh, Jews and and Bible believing Christians and you know many people raised money uh, trying to get aid to the ghettos in Poland. They raised money to get boats to get people out of Germany. Every single effort to help rescue the Jews was blocked by Rabbi Stephen Wise. And, Tony, there's a book called Perfidy by a very uh, well-known and very talented uh, film producer and writer called Ben Hecht, Perfidy. He, he wrote this book in, in great distress of soul because he had come across information that the, the, um, at the end of the war, 
towards the end of the war, in the last, you know, months of the war, there was a possibility of saving the Hungarian Jews and of, get, of getting them to Palestine. And who blocked it? But the Jewish agency, because, in fact, people like Ben-Gurion and uh, Weissman, who were, you know, like very influential figures in the Jewish agency, they blocked the rescue of the Hungarian Jews. About a million Hungarian Jews need not have gone to those camps, but they were blocked by the Jewish agency. So this is the sadness that, that the Jewish agency itself got infiltrated by um, by the Shabbat ISV followers. Um, and indeed, when the Rothschilds wanted to uh, develop their plan of acquiring the Temple Mount, um, they funded uh, the First World War. They very much influenced the Treaty of Versailles and they said they wanted to support a homeland for the Jewish people. Now, this was going on in Britain with the Milner Group, uh, the people who, Cecil Rhodes, they were all part of this same Illuminati agenda. They were working for this one world government, one world religion, but in order to, to have that, they needed a first world war to break up the uh, mainly Christian empires um, and to uh, break up the Ottoman Empire and to establish, uh, they said, a Jewish homeland, a homeland for the Jews. That was not their intention. They, they, they did not care about, the Rothschilds did not care uh, and that there were many, many, many other bankers and powerful companies. You've already said about um, Henry Ford and I, IBM and, and Boeing and all these big companies that helped build Hitler's war machine. That their, their agenda was not to establish a Jewish homeland for the Jews, to save the Jews, because they were funding the Holocaust to kill the godly Jews. They wanted, to, they wanted the land of Israel for the Temple Mount uh, so that they could have their one world religion and, and, one, and one world government. So there's betrayal from within. There's this very powerful group of Luciferian Jews who have absolutely betrayed the godly Jews, the Bible-believing Jews. And it was the Bible-believing Jews that, that were targeted uh, during, during the Holocaust. And Stephen Wise made sure that those ships got, got sent back to Germany and the Jews on them died, died in, in, in the camps. So, Tony, it's a very, very, very sad story that there are people within who are betraying them. And that's, that's interesting too. Now, I can't remember all the details, but I know somewhere I've got uh, from the early 1970s when Henry Kissinger had a chance to save Russian Jews and he said it's not an American problem and basically yes. and did nothing when the opportunity was there to actually get some 
uh, Jews out of Russia. So Henry Kissinger, who's supposedly a Jew, also did nothing to save Jews. Anyway, that, I digress there. We better move on. You were going to say about the banking system in the USA and getting control of that. So we're, yes. we're, now that we're talking about Ford and, and um, Carnegie and all of these people and IBM, it's probably time to go back to that. Yes, Tony, uh, the, this video, The Money Masters, is absolutely brilliant, historic, absolutely accurate documentation of how the European bankers uh, took over the American banking system. And you, you've got names like Jacob Schiff and Kuhn Loeb, uh, you've got uh, J.P. Morgan, you know, uh, then you've got the people who the, the Rothschilds were funding and you've got uh, not only J.P. Morgan, you've got Harriman, you've got the Rockefellers, uh, you've got the Carnegies. These were all funded by the Rothschilds and they were all, they all helped fund Hitler. Uh, but they were the ones who took over the American banking system. But, Tony, the final nail in the coffin of taking over the American banking system after trying for 100 years um, was that a very, very rich anti-God Jew in uh, Wall Street, he was a Wall Street lawyer for the bankers, his name was Samuel Untermeyer, he blackmailed Woodrow Wilson. He found out that Woodrow Wilson had had an affair when he was a professor at Princeton College, Princeton University, and he blackmailed Woodrow Wilson. And the payoff, he said, I'll pay this $40,000 for you in blackmail money on three conditions. One is that you sign the Federal Reserve Act. Number two is that you bring America into, into the war, which he had promised. He'd been elected that he would never take America into the war. Um, but because he was being blackmailed, he uh, indeed took America into the First World War. The other thing was that he would join, he would appoint Judge Brandis to the High Court, to the Supreme Court, and Judge Brandis was another one who was actually born Jewish, but again, betraying the, Jew, betraying the Jewish people. So in 1913, just before Christmas Eve, when everyone else had gone home, they, they pushed through the um, Federal Reserve Act and they tried to hide that. Um, and they, they had a meeting on Jekyll Island and you, you can look up documents uh, on Jekyll Island, the meeting on Jekyll Island. and That was all pushed by Paul Warburg, wasn't it? Yes, Wahlberg and yeah. and J.P. Morgan and all, all the all the big mm. banks were there, and they met in November 1910. That six of the most powerful bankers met with Republican Senator Nelson Aldrich on Jekyll Island, and they were working out how to cover up the the fact that the private bank private European banking dynasties were taking over the American economy. And so they called it 
the Federal Reserve. But it wasn't federal. It was a private bank. And it wasn't a reserve because it's got no reserves. But So at this meeting, they discussed how are we going to cover this up? And part of that was um, the creation of the Anti-Defamation League, which was to say that anyone who found out what they were really up to, they could call them uh, anti-Semitic or they could call them conspiracy theorists. So in other words, anyone who found out what they'd done would be utterly ridiculed as conspiracy theorists or, or anti-Semitic. The other thing they decided to do was to buy up all the media so that they could control the um, what, what was printed. And they were able to keep even this meeting at Jekyll Island hidden for, you know, for, for decades. So um, in taking over the... Um, the media, that, that was such a coup. They've been able to hide this hidden, uh, well, it's mainly hidden in the, in the Freemason lodges, but it's also hidden in plain sight on Wall Street. It's the people who basically run Wall Street, but they had to hide the fact that the Federal Reserve was not, was neither federal nor did it have yeah, a reserve. Now, is there a tie-up with the Titanic with all of this? Absolutely, because J.P. Morgan, um, he he was one of those who were pushing for the Federal Reserve. There were those who were against the, the Federal Reserve. They all happened to be on the Titanic. J.P. Morgan, as owner of the Titanic, was supposed to have been on there, but suddenly at the last minute he said he was sick. So, But all those who were opposed to the Federal Reserve sank with, with, with the Titanic, mm. and J.P. Morgan, as the owner of the Titanic, he, he killed three birds with one stone. He uh, got rid of his opposition to the Federal Reserve, um, he, the other thing was that he had an, he had another ship, um, th that had been badly damaged. It was a sister ship to the Titanic and he couldn't, he was going to lose a lot of money and he actually swapped these two ships and he got a fabulous payout, uh, insurance payout for the sinking of a damaged ship. And he still had the Titanic, um, you know, because they, they'd, they'd swapped the names. There's a lot of documentary evidence on this. He, he really... So it wasn't actually the real Titanic that sank, is that what you're saying? No. He swapped it for, for one that he couldn't insure, one that was going to lose him a lot of money, one that was damaged, in a sense, beyond repair. And the captain of the ship was a Jesuit and he was taking orders from an even higher Jesuit. He got on the ship at in in Ireland. He got off when they called into uh, the southern ports of Britain, and he'd given the orders for the sinking of the ship. Mm. So again, that was that was a, uh, a Jesuits working with the um, with Wall Street. 
Mm, very interesting. Mm. Okay, now what about I? Just going back to World War Two. What about IBM and um, the Nazis? What can you tell us about that? Well, John uh, came across it in a secondhand store. Uh, a really, really thick book on IBM uh, and the Holocaust. And um, Thomas J. Watson, we've got a photo there for you, Tony, with uh, uh, the head of IBM uh, with, 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 with Hitler, it was called. He was chairman uh, of the International Business Machines, and it was his cards. You remember the cards pre computer those cards with little holes in them. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, he he established those these business machines and these accounting machines. Uh, Hitler could not have run his military and he could not have uh, kept track of all the Jews and the Holocaust had it not been for the IBM help um, and the Ford. Ford supplied all supplied the trucks. Um, I, I don't know if you remember Tony, but when the Nazis entered, when they started invading um, into Poland and Czechoslovakia, it was called the Blitzkrieg. Yeah, and that's because it was Blitz trucks, and they they were Ford trucks, ah. and. So, so Ford, Henry Ford, was a very close friend and supporter of Hitler. He got uh, he got an award, didn't he? he actually, got an award in 1938 from yes, Hitler. Absolutely, and John's found a photo of that. Yes. So the German people were totally betrayed because the people funding uh, the Nazis. Were a lot were Wall Street, were the were the you know the Rothschilds and company, um, their fellow bankers and their the com the big companies that they had helped establish in America, like the Rockefellers. So the Standard Oil provided the you know provided the oil to both sides. Uh, the so they couldn't. Hitler couldn't have done what he wanted to do without Standard Oil. Um, so the German people were totally betrayed. The German people were set up. Uh, they didn't want Hitler. The whole banking system was collapsed in, in 1929 and led to such chaos in Germany in their economy that and then, of course, there was the burning down of the Reichstag and blaming it on on the communists, um, you know, all of this stuff that helped Hitler so-called get elected. But it was all orchestrated behind the scenes as part of this Luciferian agenda. It's the long, long war. What we're documenting is the long war against Bible-believing Jews and Christians. So the Holocaust was to get rid of the Bible-believing Jews. The Armenian Holocaust was to get rid of the Bible-believing Armenians. And it was the um, followers of Shabbat Izvi who had remained in Turkey 
who became known as the Donme and then the Young Turks. They were neither Turkish nor Islamic. They were Shabbatized followers, including Kemal Ataturk, who the Anzacs fought, fought against at Gallipoli, and he went on to become dictator of of Turkey, you know, in the aftermath of the war. But the Young Turks were 100% followers of Shabbat Isvi and the destruction and enormity of the Holocaust against the Armenians is horrendous, horrendous to watch. And remember I told you that I met a friend of Demas Shikarian he didn't actually become uh, the head of the organisation, but he was a very close personal friend of Demas Shikarian, the man who I met in um, in Jerusalem. He he passed on to me a handwritten document that the Armenians had taken with them in a sealed envelope. Um, they had been warned to get out of Armenia because this Holocaust was coming. God, in his mercy, gave a prophecy to a young boy, 11 years old, for the Armenians to get out around 1900. And those that got to America, they were saved, including Demas Shikarian's family. But they took with them a sealed envelope of a second prophecy which uh, they knew was that a time would come when their descendants would have to leave that land and that there was going to be a map in this sealed envelope of where they were to flee when persecution would come against the Christians in America. And um, this friend of Demas Shikarian gave me a copy of this um, document and it was to, it had a picture of the Sinai Desert, that a time will come when of such persecution of Christians and such wickedness in America, and it even talks about when there's an adulteress on the throne, um, a time will come when they will need to flee. America and that God had reserved water for them in the wilderness where they'll be able to be a blessing to their brothers Israel and where they'll be able to be a blessing and help many people because God has reserved water from them in the wilderness. And about that same time that I met um, this friend of Demas Shikarian and was shown this document, um, the Israelis had been drilling for war, for oil in the um, in the Negev, in, you know, in the desert, and they hadn't found oil, but they'd found water, and they were calling it water from the beginning of time, water trapped between two layers of impervious rock, that was full of the most incredible nutrients that would make the Negev and the Sinai blossom. And that was discovered unbeknownst to the Armenians at the same time that uh, God revealed the uh, this second prophecy um, that just as God warned the Armenians to get out of Armenia before this terrible holocaust, which was perpetrated by the young Turks 
who were the followers of Shabbat ISV, and they they hate Bible-believing Jews and they hate Bible-believing Christians, and that's their agenda to get rid of them off the planet. Mm, interesting. And so that, that boy's prophecy for the first one, first prophecy to get out of Armenia because of the massacre coming was correct. So, well, it doesn't necessarily mean his second prophecy will be correct, but it certainly makes you think there's a, a good case to think it may well be genuine since the first one was so accurate. Mm. Um, just one more thing. Our time is getting on. We're over an hour. Um just want to talk very quickly about the Churchills. What 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 role did Winston Churchill have in all of this? Well, the more I learn about Winston Churchill, the sadder I get, Tony. When I was doing my history degree, he was sort of the hero. Yeah. Um, but the more I, more John and I have studied, the the the, the more disillusioned I've become. Um, just as a side note. <laughs> Uh, if, just for a bit of fun, if if the listeners would like to um, listen to something that sounds like a fairy story but's actually true, there's a documentary, the BBC and I think Channel Four documentary from England called Churchill's Girl, and it's about Pamela Churchill, his daughter-in-law, uh, and who later ended up marrying Avril Harriman and helping get Bill Clinton elected. There's a whole amazing story there, Tony, that that I I, I won't go into now. What was your question? Oh yeah, just Winston Churchill and with his you know, whole position in this, because I know he, you know, well I've seen two very important quotes from him that make it very obvious that he was also pushing for world government. Yes. Very much so. His his mother, Jenny Jerome, uh, it appears to, to John and I from the research that we've done that Jenny Jerome was the daughter. It was a much longer name than that, but that's the name. She was the daughter of a very wealthy Jewish banking dynasty family in Wall Street. She came to Britain, had an affair with Edward VII, uh, had one child that was sent off to America. When she was pregnant with the second child, she was married off to Randolph Churchill, and the baby was born, you know, I think six months later, and that was Winston. Um, and when his dad had syphilis, that was Randolph Churchill. So when his dad died quite young, um, Churchill's education and mentoring came from the Rothschilds. He was mentored uh, and educated to play the role that he played. And, Tony, the Allies knew about the Holocaust and they did nothing about it. They didn't bomb the things that could have stopped the trains. What they were forbidden to bomb was the big companies making the war machines. The Allies were totally complicit in the Holocaust. Churchill, Churchill was too. And I don't know if, if you or your listeners have read a book uh, on the history of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I haven't. I know the name. It's probably yeah, something we can cover another time. But, um, yes, yeah. and, and he, he, um, he was uh, a, a wonderful Christian man and he was part of a plot to overthrow Hitler. 
uh, along with Rommel and many, many, many high-level German aristocrats and generals and said, we don't want Hitler, we want to overthrow him. They sent a letter to Churchill and Roosevelt, if we overthrow Hitler, will you deal with us as the legitimate uh, government and stop this war? Churchill's reply was, no, uh, it's not Hitler we're against, it's Germany. Mm, very, very interesting. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was certainly a man of God from what I can understand. You know, not that I've actually read his book, but... Um, it's really worthwhile reading his mm. his. And so they were double-crossed. He, 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 you know, that... There were conspirators who were trying to take out Hitler, that they were killed um, because they were double-crossed by, by Churchill and, and, and Roosevelt. They could have taken out Hitler and the war could have ended m much earlier. Well, I, I say that for me the thing is that both Adolf Hitler and Winston Churchill, I've got quotes, both of them calling for a new world order. Of course, different, absolutely. you know, Hitler wanted a new world order, so I suppose his way. Churchill had another idea, but Churchill was obviously very, very familiar with the Illuminati because he, uh, in one quote, I've, we talked about Spartacus, which was Adam Weishaupt's basically... Uh, code yes. name. So yes, anyway, I, I guess we probably should wrap this one up. Um, just before we go, John, uh, you're going to come back short um, in the next week or two, hopefully, and tell us about 5G and how that all fits in with this, I believe. I'd love to do that, Tony. Um, if there's a lot of creaking during the interview, it's because Joy's sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, and the reason for that is that her left knee has completely collapsed and she's waiting for a replacement. So just another thing to explain to the ah, listeners. It's okay. Yep. Not a problem. So, yes, so we'll come back and we'll do uh, another interview uh, in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, and we'll discuss 5G because I know people want to know about that um, very much. Will do. Great. So thank you so much, both of you, for being on the show again today, and it won't be the last time. Thank you, Thank Tony. you, Tony. As I mentioned in the beginning, folks, you can download a 20-something page PDF file of Joy Heisman's work called The Culmination of the Long War Against God, Bible-Believing Jews and Christians. You can find that on our website, a minutetomidnight.com. And we do run A Minute to Midnight 100% by donations. Really appreciate your help, folks. Uh, if you can donate, that's really uh, much appreciated. I want to thank the folks that do. We just can't keep this running if you don't help us. And while, to be honest, donations have been pretty slow lately, um, I was really blessed to get a guitar donated to me by David. And I want to say thank you, David, from England. Uh, he sent me this, and I've just recorded this track. You can hear it underneath what I'm saying now. So it's a new song I've recorded in the last couple of days. Hope you enjoy it. I had a lot of fun recording it with the new guitar. You can download free music on our website, minutetomidnight.com, if you wish. And we also put our shows there on iTunes, as well as on our website and on YouTube. So catch you in a few days with another show. Until then, God bless and have a great week.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.